Jewish Latin Princess, episode 128, Lea Soibel, founder of Fuente Latina. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is so fun. I had a blast, actually, and I think you will, too. But before I introduce her, I want to thank all of you who filled out my 2020 listener survey. It really did give me a better sense of who you are, your behaviors, what's working, what's not. So really, truly, truly, thank you. 20 of you ladies should have received on Thursday an Amazon, a $10 Amazon gift card in your inbox from me. I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure it'll come in handy. So congrats. And thanks again to all of you who participated. I'm loving the interaction. I don't know what took me so long to do such a thing. And the truth is, I wanted it to be a little bit different and kind of get it done sooner. But this pandemic, oh, well, you know, and I loved reading the specific comments that you graciously took the time to write. Thank you. And I think what I want to start doing, well, I know this is what I want to start doing is highlighting iTunes reviews as well, because that's part of the interaction and the generosity that you've been giving the show and selecting a random reviewer each week, regardless of what you say or of stars or comment, because it's all welcome here, as long as it's respectful, for sure. And doing that and doing that, giving away a 20 minute call with me where we can talk about whatever is on your mind that you'd like to talk about and that you think I can offer a perspective on. Many of you come to me with money questions, but there are also life and lifestyle questions that come up very often. By the way, if you haven't heard the last Ask Yael episode, it's, it is full of great questions and great content, I think. So so there you go. Um, announcing it today, drop a review and rating and I will select one of you every week at random and highlight you on the show and let you know that you have won a 20 minute call with me and tell you how to schedule that. So very, very easy. So all you have to do is actually if you don't know, you just scroll down your iTunes screen, which is exactly where you're listening to this show, most likely, keep scrolling down, um, you're just gonna get a few lists of a few of the latest episodes. But if you keep scrolling a few seconds, you'll hit this review and rating. And many of you have done that already. So it's just a matter of doing it again, it takes literally two seconds, you just hit and just put whatever you need to put, um, especially after you've listened to an episode, um, you can just drop us a note there. And we will every week highlight one of you. And then offer you a 20 minute call with me, which I will love because I just I really, really like connecting with the audience. So I'm looking forward to to this new added twist to the show. All right. So I also want to tell you before I announce my guest that I've started a new series online with co-host Yael Toledo, who was here many moons ago. I want to say it's something like episode seven. I honestly did not look it up, but like she's been she was here a very, very long time ago. And um, so we started this show in partnership with Momentum Unlimited, 
formerly known as JWRP, whose founder, Lori Palatnik, has also been here. Adrian Gold, one of their main speakers, has also been here on the show. And this weekly virtual show is called Entre Mujeres. And it's a show for women, about women. (laughs) And it airs live every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, not Central, Eastern time. It's in Spanish. And every week we touch on a particular taboo type topic that affects us women and we dissect it from the perspective of psychology which is Yael's forte and from the Torah perspective which is you could say my forte. So we aired last Tuesday and it was a huge hit and we had it was it was it was so much fun. We had so many more viewers than we were expecting and that momentum was expecting and the reviews were really really great. The energy the interaction. So if you speak Spanish I guarantee you will love the energy in the room between Yael and I and it's a different type of show. It's not your typical virtual class at all. I think we're a little burned out from those. It's more like a TV show. I'm not a TV person. I think you know that. But um, and we take questions from the audience and it's just super fun. So tune in every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Get yourself a glass of wine, your tea in your PJs, whatever you want. Tuesdays, 9 p.m. You can tune in at MomentumUnlimited.org forward slash Entre Mujeres and or you can watch it on Momentum Unlimited's Facebook page as well, which it's the show is st- going to be streaming live there. So you log in to Zoom um, very easily at MomentumUnlimited.org forward slash Entre Mujeres or you tune in through their Facebook page. Now, For today's guest, this is quite a refreshing and different type of interview, I'll tell you. I don't think I've ever had a guest quite like like Leah before. The truth is, all of my guests are pretty unique. But let me tell you a little bit about her. Leah Soybel is a Hispanic American and Israeli who has more than a decade of experience on the ground in Israel, the U.S., and Latin America, working with hundreds of global Latino journalists and influencers. In 2012, she founded Fuente Latina, the only organization out there ensuring that global Spanish language media have the facts they need before and when the news breaks to accurately cover Israel regardless of their geographic location. So giving access to Spanish language media. She basically launched Fuente Latina in response to a growing demand from Latino journalists for greater access to information about Israel and the Middle East. And she's done a wonderful job of delivering tremendous value for journalists and nurturing those relationships, while at the same time affecting the way Israel is covered and portrayed in the Spanish language media. Fuente Latina is a nonprofit and nonpartisan organization headquartered in Miami with offices in Jerusalem, Madrid, and Los Angeles. Leah is a National Security Education Program Fellow and received an Arabic language certificate from the American University of Cairo's Arabic Language Institute. Arabic, actually. <laughs> she has a BA in Middle East History from Dickinson College, an MA in Security Policy Studies from George Washington University, and has completed course coursework for a doctorate at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, where I used to study as well, but we didn't cross paths. Leah speaks English, Spanish, Hebrew, and Arabic, and she's just awesome. Pay attention to how Fuente Latina came about, how she found that the trick, how she followed the trail, sorry, and listened to the needs out there, and how she's focused on relationships and delivering value. Pretty important messages for any of us, no matter what we're trying to build. And yes, we had so much fun chatting. Here's the lovely Leah Soybel. 
Leah Soibel, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. What a treat to have you on the show. Thank you. What, what, it, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I, I have a feeling this is going to be a very passionate, dynamic conversation. Two <laughs> Jewish Latin women talking about a place that we all love, everybody in this audience loves, the land of Israel. I mean, what could be better? <laughs> Nothing. Absolutely nothing is better. Well, I'll tell you what could be better. Jerusalem. I'll tell you what could be better for us both to be there having this conversation. That would be pretty awesome. What do you think? One day, as soon as the pandemic is over, I'll meet you there. We got a date. You got a date. Leah, you are the founder of Fuente Latina. I, an organization, a nonprofit organization that has become really the trusted source of information in Spanish for the global media professionals who are looking to cover Israel and the Middle East. I think like you and your team are doing an amazing job um, f- with this because I think there was there was a big void there. And perhaps you could that that should be my first question, the void that you wanted to address. But even even more than that, like what was the impetus for you to take on this project? And yeah, describe also for us, what was that void that you were looking to fill? So thank you for the question. And thank you again for inviting me. And I'm very happy to be here to be talking about Fuente Latina, which is my passion project, um, literally my my baby. Um, And I started it in 2012 from my tiny kitchen in Jerusalem, I was working with the global foreign press that was based in Israel. And this was at a time when public relations wasn't fully formed in Israel. If you were a journalist from anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. and you were looking to cover a story, whether it was about the conflict, whether it was about the peace process, whether it was about culture or fashion, whatever story that you wanted to cover from your point of view, It was difficult if you didn't have what they call a stringer, somebody on the ground that spoke Hebrew or Arabic, that had access, that could help you maneuver some of the challenging landscape that exists in Mm -hmm. any country as a reporter trying to get to the right source, trying to get to the right story, the right politician, whatever the case may be. And I was working at the time for an organization that was helping foreign press in Israel maneuver that landscape. I started working in English. I started working in Arabic. I was working with press, with thousands of reporters from all over the world. And what was interesting is as a Hispanic American Israeli, I was working in Jerusalem and I was always called because about a hundred, if not more Spanish language, global journalists would arrive to Israel on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have the same tools and access that perhaps the English language journalists had available to them. And it wasn't for any other reason than really resources and that there wasn't like this enlightenment and awakening yet of the Hispanic vote of the importance of the Hispanic world. Mm. Um, So if you really weren't the New York times or the Washington post, some of the more kind of elite uh, really recognized global recognized journalists and and press outlets, you really didn't get that TLC. And what I noticed with the Hispanic press is that they were coming over um, at least, like I said, at least a hundred a year, which is a significant it number. Is. If you think of that, there's half a billion Spanish speakers worldwide. There were about a hundred annually that were coming over to Israel with a variety of different organizations, even the Israeli government. And they would come, they would learn about Israel, they would fall in love, they would go home. And then when I would kind of follow the trajectory after going home, I would see that none of them would really ever cover Israel. Really? And that was troubling to me. 
because they had come to learn about the country, about its all of its complexities and its beauty. And they would go home and then they would not really have a source to yeah. count on to help them cover Israel from afar. Yeah, there was like le- that link and that follow through. Precisely. Mm-hmm. So I, I, this was around two, 2010. All of a sudden there was this buzz. Um, and it, it wasn't a, a, a new buzz in America. It was kind of more of a buzz in Israel where all of a sudden there was this awareness. Like, wow, there's at the time it was 60,000. Hispanics in the United States since then we're now at 68 uh, 68 million sorry uh, 60 million now we're at 68 million in the United States more or less um, there was this awareness all of a sudden of the Hispanic vote of mm-hmm. the impu- in- influence and in- in importance of the US Hispanic population and there was all of a sudden this need to draw attention and to give priority to this particular audience and as like I said as a Hispanic American and an Israeli this was my expertise. Mm-hmm. And I had been working with the U.S. Hispanic media market for quite some time, making inroads, building and establishing relationships, following through with those relationships. And in the two years prior to establishing Fuente Latina, the inroads we made with the U.S. Hispanic media community was incredible. There mm-hmm. was all of a sudden this desire to get to know Israel and what was going on in the Middle East. This also coincided with what we saw in terms of the Arab Spring and the Syrian civil war. So all of a sudden in the Hispanic world, this was there was this also type of awakening where I started to receive a significant increase in requests and demands for interviews, for access, for information in Spanish. And this really willingness and 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 pursuit of information mm. about what is going on and how is this relevant to the Hispanic world, and that was the void that I saw. I saw that there was a need on the side of the media outside of Israel that were seeking to cover stories relating to Israel in the Middle East, and I saw this need within Israel that there weren't these resources readily available in Spanish for global Hispanic media to be able to cover Israel and the region accurately and for their specific target audiences. And that's where my two worlds kind of coalesce and that's where the idea blossomed to establish Fuente Latina. And I established Fuente Latina on my own in 2012, like I said, from my tiny Jerusalem kitchen. <laughs> and um, And what was very interesting is as I was establishing and creating the basis of Fuente Latina at the end of 2012, unbeknownst to me, Tehran, Iran, was establishing a multi-million dollar 24-7 television news network to win Hispanic hearts and minds for Iran and against Israel and America. So it was very interesting to have launched Fuente Latina at the same time that Iran launched their state-funded, um, essentially propaganda machine. Yeah, and and still to this day, um, we are very much at odds <laughs> because our messages are obviously we're trying to promote the truth about Israel and in the importance of the U.S.-Israel relationship, and they are doing the exact opposite. Wow. So here's like David and Goliath. <laughs> you could, yes, yes, you could definitely frame it that way. This is incredible. But wait, before we get to that, because I think this is going to touch upon the challenges of what you're doing, really, and for people to understand the challenges of what Fuente Latina does, I need to pick on the brain of this woman who 
takes this, sees this void, sees this need, yet you could have very well continued. You had already been making so many, like you said, inroads in in filling this void from the position that you were for working for the organization that you were working, you could have stayed doing that. But something in you said, no, I'm going on my own. I'm going solo, which is not everybody does that. And look how far you've come. Take me a little bit behind the, th- the thought process and what like, boom, how did that happen? <laughs> well, it was really out of it was really out of circumstance. Uh, the organization I was working for was where I got all of my all of my on the ground training. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never seen myself entering this world when my initial career path um, didn't work out as I had initially mm-hmm. planned it, strategized it. Um, I got led into this world, which was a world that I dreamt about and fantasized about from afar, you know, being a journalist, being a foreign correspondent, yet I'd never worked as a foreign correspondent. Mm -hmm. Um, I married a foreign correspondent, but I've never worked as one professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, But I worked in the field of information and information as uh, as a commodity, information as um, as something of importance, right. as something of integrity, um, and so I, when when basically this opportunity, um, you know, it just kind of fell upon my lap, and I took full advantage of it because it was an incredible learning opportunity in the field in Israel in the Middle East, working with thousands of global journalists, not only Hispanic, global. I was working with journalists from all over the world, mm-hmm. opinion leaders, politicians. And the organization that I was working with um, at the time in 2012 took uh, a different strategic direction. They had changed leadership and they had changed uh, direction in terms of where they were putting their focus. And their focus was on um, the U.S. opinion elite in terms of the, the media. So they were focusing exclusively on English language media as it pertained to Israel and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Hispanic media was not included Mm. within that group. And so they asked me to stay on and I was grateful for that. But I really, really wanted to pursue this particular mission in my Mm. niche. Because number one, I had spent the last seven years establishing the relationships with Hispanic journalists. And I felt that it was a bad return of investment and a waste of of time and energy um, and relationships to just, you know, throw the baby out with the Mm bathwater. I I felt that the inroads were too deep, that they were too strong, and that there was something there that I didn't want to let go of. And I was incredibly nerve wracking for me. (laughs) But I also realized that I was young enough to take such a risk. And I resigned from my organization. And I asked a few core funders that were funding my particular program working with the Hispanic media at the time at the previous organization. If I go, will you come with me and help me establish this new organization to focus exclusively on global Hispanic media? And those few brave and amazing uh, philanthropists and individuals came with me. And we went from an organization um, with an initial budget of about $300,000 to raising last year more than $1.7 million. Whoa, that is amazing, Leah. Yes, yes, yes. And, and it, it's not, it doesn't speak to my fundraising capabilities. 
it really speaks to the need. The need. I mean, I, I'm able, thank God, to be uh, to raise the funds to support the work um, of providing absolute access and all the tools necessary to any Hispanic journalist around the world that is seeking access and information related to Israel and the Middle East. And um, because of these philanthropists, we're we're able to do our job, which obviously we love. But um, but it speaks to the need. It speaks yeah. to the need in the marketplace. It speaks to the need of the media. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I have some sort of skills in fundraising that I'm able <laughs> to raise the funds to meet those needs. But I think it really speaks to to that void. And and that void, interestingly enough, I thought eight years down the line would have been filled to some degree. But the honest truth is, is that it's still there. It's still there. And as we had pre mentioned in a previous com conversation, and now with Corona, I think we saw it very clearly. So why don't we jump right in there? Because I think Israel got pretty hit by this, <laughs> by this, um, this pandemic, not perhaps in, in the way that we wanted with regards to the Hispanic media, and you did a lot to help there. So tell us about all that. So it, the pandemic totally changed how journalists not only are covering COVID-19, but are covering things in general. Mm -hmm. So what was very interesting to us that work with, with global media is that all of a sudden, journalists that were in the studio were sequestered to their sofas. Right. And all of a sudden, everybody was covering news in, in their living room. Yeah. Right. So the journalists that were once in the bomb shelters, that were on the borders, that were in the field, that were, you know, in the thick of it, covering stories, seeking out facts, seeking out interviews, we're nowhere to be found. Right. And that's because they couldn't, they couldn't get out. Now, we were very fortunate that our, we have a whole production team on the ground in Israel. And we were able to continue covering and filming news every single day as it was related to what were the latest advancements that Israel was working on towards um, antibodies, towards a virus, uh, the latest technology, um, how was it helping other countries combat COVID and their challenges. So we were very lucky that we were still able to continue covering news mm -hmm. and that we had built all these relationships over the last eight years with journalists that are trusting in us to provide them with quality factual content that they can air as relates to corona and what was happening with journalists all over the world is because they didn't have that international access and that accessibility to you know just get on a plane and travel um, they became much more reliant on our services because they only had the ability to cover what's happening them around them right now to have to cover what's co what's happening nationally internationally and, you know, so far away as the Middle East. So our services and our content became a huge asset for the global Hispanic media because there is an interest of what's happening over there, so much so that it relates to to the Hispanic world. And I'll give you a prime example. We launched a story last week, um, and it's specifically for the, the Mexican media market, but it's something that the U.S. Hispanic media uh, picked up as well which is we covered some of the stories of how Hispanic entrepreneurs in Israel survived, how their businesses survived COVID and how mm -hmm. they're coming back and renewing their services now that Israel is starting to open up. Right. And one is of this amazing individual. 
and I will treat you once we can go back and meet in Jerusalem. His mm-hmm. name is Taco Luis Angel. His his restaurant or taqueria is called uh, Tacos Luis. Mm-hmm. He's an amazing personality. A few years ago, he crowdfunded to establish Jerusalem's first taqueria, Kosher Taqueria. Oh my gosh. And it is amazing, 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 amazing. And we did a story about him uh, several times. But we followed his journey on how he maintained his small business and kept it alive through the pandemic and through the forced closures and um, at-home orders, how he kept cooking at home, how he kept delivering to his customers. And now that he's reopened, what's his plan to really continue his business? Because his business survived. It's a small restaurant. It's a niche business. It's not hummus. It's not falafel. It's not shawarma. It's tacos in Jerusalem. So how he was able to keep that business alive through the pandemic, through the closures, and now come back even stronger was a story we told last week. It was published all throughout Mexico. Several U.S. Hispanic outlets picked it up. But it's a story that is has relevance, obviously, and it's based in Israel. But it's a feel-good story that speaks to other Hispanic small business owners anywhere in the world right. saying, you know, there's hope that you can survive this and you can come back even stronger. And these are the type of messages we always love to communicate in our stories as as we communicate issues as they happen in Israel and we want to portray them in the Hispanic media. Amazing, amazing. So let's dive into the scope of your services because we're already getting the sense that this is so much more than just... um, a PR company. It's the, the scope of what you and your team are doing is so much more than just press kits and ideas for stories. So why don't you dissect for listeners all the different types of services that you guys provide? So I'll, I'll start by saying we're not a news agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, I, what I discovered early on is that to compete with uh, news agencies like EFE, the number one news agency in Spanish, or Associated Press or Reuters, you have to raise millions of dollars and you have to work 24 Mm -hmm. 7. Israel is not that much of interest at at, on a daily basis to the global Hispanic media. So becoming a news agency and having to raise and then spend that much money absolutely didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we're not a PR agency. We're not doing PR for any government or any one particular company or individual or institution. Right. What we are is a nonprofit media organization. What What we strive to do in the work that we do is number one, fill that niche that I described early on. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, we're empowering global Hispanic journalists, media professionals, influencers, to be able to have the information, to have the tools, to have the access that they need to cover Israel and the region accurately from afar. And in doing so, they don't have to become reliant on biased news sources. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of fake news sources in the Middle East. Hispan TV that that uh, Iran state-funded TV network that I spoke of earlier is one key example. Mm-hmm. There is unfortunately a lot of misinformation related to Israel and the Jewish world. And we, through our work, we combat that. But our primary goal is to reach the non-Jewish mainstream Hispanic media professionals mm-hmm. and, number one, bring them to Israel and what we call a media fellowship. We've brought more than 300 journalists to Israel over the last seven years um, on this one week fully subsidized fellowship. And it's a trip that they are actually working. Journalists that come on our fellowships are required to publish 
at least two stories either during the trip or immediately afterwards. And they see Israel not through our eyes and not through any any particular person's eyes what they see they they learn about israel through the the lens of a hispanic journalist so what that means is they don't go just speak to anybody we carefully curate each one of these fellowships depending on where the journalist is from depending on what medium they work for whether it's radio television or print Mm -hmm. digital whatever the case is but they learn about israel by speaking with israel's spanish uh speaking citizens most of them are immigrants from South America, from Latin America. Beautiful. So they speak with the members of Knesset that are originally from Latin America. They speak with uh, models. They speak with uh, fashion designers. They speak with culinary giants. They speak with your average citizen that lives under rocket threat near the Gaza border. They speak with teachers. They speak with mothers. They speak with um, soldiers. They speak with everybody that makes up the fabric of Israeli society that has a story to tell that can tell it in Spanish Mm -hmm. in a way that resonates with a Hispanic audience. I mean, I'll give you a a prime example. Um, Yes. One of my favorite stories is that uh, in about two years ago, we brought um, a mission and our missions are sometimes mixed of different journalists from different countries or we bring journalists just of of one country. We brought a group of Mexican journalists uh, from the top uh, level of, of journalists, remember, these are non-Jewish, so mm-hmm. we're talking about Televisa, we're talking about TV Azteca, we're, ta- we're talking about high-level Forbes journalists from from um, these mainstream outlets. And so most of the people who they met during their trip were Israelis of Mexican origin. Mm-hmm. And so they tell the story of something that actually, you know, that makes sense to them. Right. And we happen to have found this one doctor in northern Israel that was caring for Syrian refugees that were being brought over by Israel on humanitarian basis because they needed amputations. They needed immediate medical assistance and they were unable to receive it in Syria. And so they were being brought over and cared for in Israel. And just as we arrived with the journalist to the hospital, um, it's a young doctor. He made Aliyah and immigrated to Israel. I think at the time was like six years prior. So, you know, really quite new to Israeli society um, was from Mexico, and and as the journalists were there, in came in three Syrian. Um, uh, they were really fighters. They were from from the Syrian opposition. They were mm. they were fighting against Assad's forces in Syria. They brought in um, one was missing an eye, another was missing Oof. a leg, severely injured individuals, and they spoke to the journalists through an interpreter um, mm-hmm. hours before the Mexican doctor had saved their lives. Um, and and the journalists sat there and they cried. Wow. They were so impacted by what they saw. They cried. And something we'd never seen in, in all of the 50-plus the fellowships we've done over the last seven years is that the, it was such an important story for these journalists to tell about this Israeli-Mexican doctor is that they drew straws to see who would get to air the exclusive wow. about this doctor and the work he was doing. And they they followed the protocols. Whoever you know, the the one that drew the shortest straw was the one that got the exclusive. And um, and what happened is when they went home and they started airing the stories, his story went viral, and he was dubbed the the Mexican Israeli angel saving oh Syrian lives. And and to this day, those journalists continue to call that doctor for interviews. And it's and it's a story that it, it's 
that doesn't get told very often. Right. They had the chance, you know, to tell that story while on the ground receiving a byline, which for any journalist to receive a, a byline in a country like Israel, which is not only so important spiritually, but it is the, one of the hotbeds of news in the entire world. For so sure. So to have the chance professionally to be there, to tell that story, to interview those Syrians, to interview that doctor is is a, a change, a life-changing experience um, professionally and personally for many of the journalists that come on our trips. Right. Um, but that, but that, that's really the easy part. Bringing them to Israel is easy. Everybody wants to visit Israel. What's hard is how do you then maintain the follow-up? And mm-hmm. when I established Fuente Latina, my goal was to make sure that that those that were investing resources and making sure that journalists could learn about Israel with their own eyes, that the investment wasn't being wasted and that these journalists were just kind of left to do what they wanted and never be touched or engaged again. I made sure that when I established Fuente Latina, there was a built-in follow-up mechanism. Okay, and what does we that consist pro- of? That consists of news. So we're we're providing them with added value. And the added value is, is there we're providing them with content, with story ideas, with experts, with um, anything that they need. Again, that's videos, that's articles, that's um, you know, exclusive breaking news information. Whatever it is, it is we, we pitch it to them on a depending on the news cycle can range on a weekly to a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very conscious that our technology journalists don't receive political pitches right. um, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. We are, we're very aware of our audience. We know the differences, like what we pitch to Miami, we don't pitch to Mexico City. We understand the differences in our audiences and we're very conscious of that. And so we are, because of that care and professionalism and because of the quality of the content that we're providing, the journalists continue over time to continue to turn to us for information that they want or that they need to be able to cover Israel, the Jewish world, or the region in general. And what we found is that typically that journalists that have come to Israel with us, after publishing their initial two stories, within the first to six, eight months, they're kind of like, Leah, listen, you know, we've, we've covered what we can right now. We need to focus on other issues. And then what we find is that after kind of like that six to eight month mark, they are opening up our emails, they're opening up our newsletters, they're responding to our WhatsApp, and they're saying, you know, I saw this story about this what this tech, this startup in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, can you find me a Spanish speaker that I can interview? I saw this story about uh, a, a Mexican immigrant family or an Argentinian doctor. Can you get me access to that doctor? Can you set up that interview for me? Um, right now, as it relates to COVID, it's different. Um, doctors, it's different professionals in the medical field. And so what we do in initial to not only providing access to those uh, opinion makers is that what we found also through our work is there is a lack of diversity of experts and professionals that know how to speak to the media. For example, you have doctors that are professionals in their fields and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden there's this huge demand to have interviews, media interviews with them, (laughs) but they know how to write a prescription and they know how to conduct life-saving surgery, but they've never had any experience in speaking with the media and conveying their message through the television or through the radio or podcast, whatever it may be. So we are now investing time, which we found has been absolutely necessary and the results have been incredible, 
in working with Jewish community leaders, whether they're doctors and the healthcare professionals, whether they're teachers, um, whether they're terrorism experts, and training them so that we can have more women experts and professionals available to speak to the media, which is something that I found over the last eight years is sorely lacking. Um, younger uh, professionals and experts available, um, both men and women, um, and from a variety of different fields. And now we're now working in LA through our LA office and our Miami office in reaching out and finding experts and professionals that want to receive this training so that when a media request arises, we have a broader network and a more diverse network available to be able to pick up the phone and say, I have you know, two female physicians available or one physician, male physician available, one mm -hmm. in LA, one in New York, one in Chicago available, which one meets, which one do you need for what time, what, what you know, morning or night? Um, you know, do you want it by Skype or in the studio? Whatever the requirements are that we have a, a large enough network. And for me, and most important is that one that really reflects the Hispanic Jewish community or the Spanish speaking Jewish community, not only in the United States, but in Latin America and right. in Spain, that uh, that really reflects our, our community. One thing that we found with the non-Jewish Hispanic community is that they think that for whatever reason, we are all men. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, because, because again, there's a lack, there's a lack of female representation, representation a right. lot of the time, mm -hmm. and also they think we're all older. Um, oh, that's funny. So, so um, you know, th these are these are kind of stereotypes that we like to try to um, break through through the work that we do in making sure that the Jewish community, the that you know, in Israel or elsewhere, that uh, the Jewish community, the global Jewish community is well represented in the Hispanic media with experts that feel confident that in what they're saying and how to speak to the media, to a non-Jewish audience, whether it's about the Jewish community, whether it's about Israel, the professional field, whatever the case is. Um, and, and in doing so, we're also filling a much needed void in the Hispanic market in providing them with a wide variety of different experts, regardless of what the field is, so that, you know, they don't always have to call the same doctor. Right. Now, because of our services and our new network of diverse experts, they have, uh, a, they have 10 experts to choose from instead of just one. you've been wanting to add meditation into your life, some practical tools to be less reactive and more mindfully responsive as you go about your busy day, so have I. Thanks to many guests on the show, I've learned a lot about meditation and mindfulness, but the hard part is to get me to do it. Well, I'm finally doing it. I joined Dr. Asi Yankovic's Circle of Insight, and I'm loving it. If you want to incorporate meditation into your life because you recognize that it's important to restore your inner calm, I recommend you try Dr. Asi's Circle of Insight. You can head over to jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash circle to join and get 50% off your first circle by entering the code princess at checkout. You will gain a tremendous amount. Check it out at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash circle. And hey, I might see you in there. It's my weekly self-care treat and I'm loving it. JewishLatinPrincess.com forward slash circle and enter the code PRINCESS to receive 50% off your first circle.
this is really the type of work that you're doing is unbelievable. And I, I have to ask you because what I'm sensing since the beginning of this conversation, it's really all relationships based. That's really where your magic touch has been building relationships and understanding the needs of your of your people, the journalists, the audience. It, it, it's that human touch. This is really where you're where, where, where you're doing your magic. And so it begs the question, um, were you always like this as a child? Like, did you always feel like you wanted to be in that space of communication and relationships? Is this how, you know, if you look back at your young adulthood and your childhood, was this something that was just very evident for you and clear? Not at all. Really? Absolutely not at all. I was always very sociable. Uh, but I never in a million years would have ever thought that this would be my professional field of work. Never in a million years. Wow. Um, and I lo- and I love it. Don't get me wrong. Right. I, I know you do. I <laughs> love it. And, and I wake up every morning thankful that this is my life and every day is different. And um, I always loved a good challenge. That was always clear from the beginning. Um, and this by no means is, you know, a small challenge We're we're dealing with three different, if not four different continents um, of different Spanish speakers, each country very diverse, each outlet very diverse. Um, and you have to know your audience really well. And it does really boil down to relationship. But, right. you know, we, what we forget in the world of social media, we think that that's king. It, I mean, it's it's an important platform of communication and to publicize who you are, where you work or what you're doing. But the bottom line is, is that if I meet somebody, um, you know, in Israel, if I meet them, you know, at a networking event and we really hit it off and we have share kind of a special experience together. And then I let five years go by. And then all of a sudden I, I, you know, out of the blue call and say, you know what, I need this favor. They're not likely to um, help mm-hmm. because that relationship wasn't maintained. And that's really what this boils down to is we're providing journalists with something that they need. It adds value to their professional career. Um, It helps them advance in their career. And I'll give an example in a minute of of how that's happened several times so far. But uh, the bottom line is, is that we're we're providing them with a a really a life changing experience while at the same time making it a value to them. If it's not a value to them then they're less likely to pursue a relationship with Puente Latina in the long term and utilize our resources. But because we know the value that we are adding and we always take special care in the content that we provide them, making sure that the stories are absolutely relevant to them and more important, more beyond them, it's their audience. Right. If you're providing a journalist with a story that they're like, oh, this might be interesting, but I don't know if my audience is going to pick this up. Right. Then it's of no value. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're very, we're very aware of all that. Um, but most importantly, like it, it, it does come down to relationships and it, it's very, very, very important. Um, not only those relationships, but again, I want to stress that the value and, and, and here's an example or two examples of how we've added value to these journalists lives and more importantly, their careers. Um, two journalists that came with us, both women, uh, interesting enough, and both from the South Florida area, non-Jewish, uh, came, right? Non-Jewish, mm-hmm. all of them non-Jewish. Of the 300 plus journalists we've brought on these fellowships, they are all not Jewish. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they, is that by design or it just happens to be? It's absolutely by, uh, well, the two that I'm speaking to was just coincidentally, but uh, the, the, the focus on the non-Jewish Hispanic media is absolutely by design Okay. because Jews already are, are for the most part, aware of Israel. Um, they cover Israel. The right. non-Jewish media don't. And so that that's where we focus a lot of our efforts. Um, but these two women, they came on different uh, fellowships to Israel with us. And what happens on these fellowships is if you work in television, we provide a cameraman mm-hmm. all throughout the trip. Because what they're doing is every stop is a chance for an interview. For sure. So they decide what stories they want to cover. They decide what interviews they want to conduct. But there's always a camera there, cameraman there filming Amazing. what they've what they've been doing and the interviews that they've done. And what happens uh, in two, two of the cases is that these women took the video interviews that were filmed. They went back home to South Florida. They edited the content. They submitted it. One submitted it for an Emmy. Another one submitted it for uh, an Associated Press Broadcasting Award. And they both won. Mm which is a result of our production work and their editing and reporting. And as a result, of the 300-plus journalists, two of them, including the one that I just mentioned, have have resulted in in TV Emmy Awards in the United States. This one woman, uh, an Associated Press Broadcasting Award, and at least five other Emmy nominations that we know of. So it's, it's, again, it's, it's... it's providing value, professional value wow. um, to their work, and they honor and they respect that. And, and they, they know that we're helping them with their career and empowering them in their career to be able to tell stories that they otherwise probably would have never had the chance to tell. That is pretty amazing. It's pretty, pretty awesome. And then I, I, I want to add that there's also the underlying layer of the the personal experience that these, these journalists on just on a part, we, we've already established how amazing it could be for their career. But on a personal level, I'm sure a lot of these journalists experience just this just eye-opening experience just by being in the land and being in touch with the people and seeing what it's like. And, and, and maybe you can talk to that or how their perceptions change just from a human perspective. I mean, if we have Jews, the first time we go, we're shocked. Right. Imagine mm-hmm. how a non-Jew feels the first time they write, and particularly right. those that work in news who think that they understand the country <laughs> Good point. Um, based on what they're reading every single day right. on the newswire or listening to on the radio. And then they show up. And I work, like I said, I work with journalists from all over the world. And I've seen journalists uh, like arrive. And you know, one of the other things that we, we do for some of the VIP journalists is that we do an aerial helicopter tour because one of the hardest things to understand about Israel is the um, narrow waistline, mm-hmm. kind of like the, the 14 kilometers between the Mediterranean and the 1967 Green Line. Right. It's, it's, you know, Judea and Samaria. It's very hard. You know, you look at a map and you're, you kind of think, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's pretty far. And then you get in a helicopter and in literally eight <laughs> minutes, you've gone from the Mediterranean to the Judean Hills and like, boom, you, you realize really the security challenge that Israel faces mm-hmm. in, in that short, you know, area of, of what they call like the narrow waistline of, of Israel, where the majority of, of Israel's population actually lives. Um, and so uh, we've done these tours and I've seen journalists, you know, arrive 
in like near the Gaza border once they've kind of seen Jerusalem and everything and just sit down and cry. Because a lot of them are so in shock and like in disbelief. I mean, I've had one journalist once said, like, get off the helicopter tour. He really looked like he was going to be sick. Um, his hand, head was in his hands. He was sitting down on a rock, like on right on the Gaza border, one of the 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 like where you can look into to Gaza from Steaua, and and he really looked sick. And I went over and I said, "Are you okay?" And he was crying. He said, "I can't believe I've been lied to all these years." I <gasps> lay. I got chills. Aye. But it's true. It's true because you think you're a reporter. You think you right. know. You think you're informed. Until you arrive and you see it for yourself. And it's, it's, but you have to remember that for non-Jewish and particularly Hispanic visitors to Israel, whether you're a journalist or you're just, you know, a pilgrim or, or just a regular tourist, there's another element. There's actually a couple different elements depending on, on, on your religious background. But by and large, most Hispanics are Catholic. Catholic, right. And today's generation... Um, are leaving Catholicism to either become atheists or Protestant evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. And But regardless of what your religion is, what we find is that a lot of the, the journalists and visitors that we engage, um, it was always their mother, their grandmother's dream to visit Tierra Santa. Israel wow. is the holy land of for course. many Hispanics. Right. So it's a spiritual epicenter. Mm-hmm. So they're not only fulfilling a professional kind of pilgrimage but yeah. they're they're experiencing a spiritual and a personal one yeah, yeah and the culmination of all those things is very powerful and very lasting on their their ex- experience and their impression of israel of its people of jews of the region and yeah. you know we i actually was just speaking to one of my 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 colleagues my my employee in spain and he said to me you know, I've been following throughout the pandemic, we've been following up with each and every single one of our 300 media fellows. And, um, and he said to me, you know, they all still mention with so much love and so like, like, so, so much like as if it happened yesterday, the trip to Israel, the Mm. fellowship to Israel, it really has had like it's a lot, like it's really an impressionable trip on them. Yeah, and it's something that lasts with them forever. And yeah, like I, you know, as and he's 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 absolutely atheist and not Jewish, and he said to me, you know, that's really impressive. Like I didn't really realize that. Um, not even on the trip itself, when so, you see some of them get very emotional, um, but you know, to speak to them, some of them four or five years later that they, they still speak about that trip with us and how it's impacted their career and them personally, um, you know, years down the line is very, very powerful. Yeah, for for those of us um, in the audience who grew up in these countries, like I grew up in the Caribbean in a very Catholic country, I mean, I could totally see it, it really is for a lot of the population in these countries, a, a something that they aspire to. It's something and, and when the younger generation gets to do it. It's almost like a family dream. You know, it's 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 really something that I mean, I remember as a young adult coming back from Israel at 18 years old. And I just remember the amounts of questions that I got from the people around me, whether it be the, the cleaning staff or people at my old school or, you know, old teachers that I would bump into just people were just so thirsty to hear because they 
they they just they just love the land of Israel and like here we you know here we we have an opportunity in my case to just share it from my perspective but in their case it's like when these young journalists come and have this experience it's a whole big emotional thing um so I'm glad you brought it up because I'd forgotten that element which is so true in many of these countries and I, and I'll leave you with this story because it, it really it speaks to exactly what I was saying. There's a journalist in Los Angeles we we brought um, a few years back on on her initial uh, media fellowship, and uh, she was speaking uh, to a crowd and she said, you know the the one thing I had, had dreamed of all my life was to go to Tira Santa, and I got mm-hmm. that opportunity with Fuente Latina, and then she said since coming home from that trip, she had gone to church every Sunday and prayed for one thing. And that one thing was to be able to return to Tira Santa. And she came back with us on an alumni trip, on our first alumni trip last year. And so those are the types of things like we we as kind of organization, the organization itself, and those of us that organize these trips, you know, we're putting detail into how it like really impacts them from a professional level. But we have no, it's just, it's really it's really incredible to hear those types of yeah, anecdotes because it goes deep. we don't we don't realize how deep it goes it until deep. until we hear that that type of of comment and right. reflection on the trip. Right. And the bottom line it has tremendous repercussions also um for the good. This is this is incredible. Leah, now I have to ask you because okay, so you didn't think that this was going to be your career path, but you've been you lived in Israel for many years. You grew up in the states, a daughter of Hispanic parents the connection and the passion for the land of Israel. I mean, we all do grant it, but there is, you know, you've taken it to the next degree, to the next level. Was that something that came from home? It came from home. It came from um, a, a passionate love for Israel um, from my father. Uh, I was sent to, you know, the Jewish day schools and the, the sleepaway summer camps. Mm-hmm. I went to camp young Judea in Wisconsin um, which was uh, really kind of my it, it it built a lot of yearning to to learn about Israel and to visit Israel. My parents sent me on Alexander Moss High School in Israel, which was really my awakening. And when when I fell in love that first time, uh, and then I went to um, I did my my year abroad my junior year abroad at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Mm. And then I did something that I don't think a lot of um, Jewish uh, students or even Jewish female students do, which is that I actually also, after uh, getting my bachelor's degree um, in the United States, I took a year off and studied an Arabic language uh, program at the American University of Cairo, right before 9-11, the year oh before 9-11, <laughs> to go study fluent Arabic. Um, so we always knew I was passionate. We always <laughs> knew that I was uh, a little bit of a risk taker, um, sometimes more than others. But, uh, but I really wanted to learn Arabic. I really wanted to learn about the region as a whole. Um, and, I, and, you know, how that impacts not only Israel, but politics, um, the economy. And, and I really also had a passion of just like learning about like, Arab culture and Islam. And so I, I went to um, Cairo for a year. Uh, at a very interesting time um, politically for the region, but also its implications later uh, for September 11th. And um, and it was very interesting also to have that that kind of counter 
um, impression right. of having so much experience in Israel and then going and studying in an Arab country um, as a, a single female um, who is Jewish. And then after that, I took it a little bit further and I traveled to eight Arab countries um, doing public opinion polls for my master's thesis. Um, and even after that experience, um, and, and I do, I have a, a great love of Arab culture and I, and I love Arabic um, and a great respect for, for Islam. But all of that, what that travel in the Arab world did was strengthen my resolve to mm. move to Israel. <laughs> wow. wow. And, that, and that after all those experiences, I made uh, Aliyah. And it was, and, and, um, and, and your parents could finally that. breathe. <laughs> Not so much again. No, again, I, I kept things uh, always interesting as I do, but, um, but no, they did not breathe for many years. And then again, they didn't <laughs> breathe for many years. And now my mother's finally breathing that I moved to Miami. Um, but no, it, it gave me a totally different perspective. And, uh, you know, that's something that comes across in our work with the journalists is that it's not just, you know, somebody who's Jewish that only knows Israel. Right. Um, we're providing, you know, it's again, and my perspective is one of, I'm, we don't provide a political opinion at Fuente Latina. We provide the facts, mm -hmm. punto, point, mm -hmm. nothing more, nothing less. So what we're doing is, you know, providing, you know, we can help them cover stories as it relates to Hezbollah and Latin America um, in Spanish, um, Iranian influence in different countries in Latin America and Spanish. Uh, what's going on in the Arab world about the Arab Spring in analysis in Spanish. So we're providing them much more than just Israel. We're providing them with more of a regional perspective. And I actually base that on my experience in the Arab world and having kind of that, that kind of that, that perspective that you have like an aerial perspective. It's not just necessarily, you know, one-sided or a blocked view it's very much I'm, i understand politics of many of the different arab countries i speak arabic so we're providing much more than just israel we're providing different perspectives as it relates to israel but also with access to the arab world and analysis from the entire region mm. leah so so Israel's obviously always been a passion, and I'm sure um, you're a mother, so I'm sure that's coming through <laughs> also in your home. Any any values, any other Jewish values or traditions that you feel really tied to, and you you know you've brought to your home, whether it be because you learned them from your parents' home, or you adopted them as a, an adult, or your husband brought them into the picture? Is there something that you feel really strong that you know you bring home? Uh, I have to tell you, we're, we're, I was brought up very, you know, m more than Jewish because I also, uh, I, I, as one of my many experiences growing up, I was, uh, an only Jew always on a Catholic soccer team. Mm. <laughs> um, and I would go to church with all of my friends. So I am, I am, I am Jewish a hundred percent. My husband is too, but our passion really for both of us and it shows in the work that we both do is our, our love for Israel mm -hmm. and the need to defend it um, through the work that we do, which is through communications, right. through media, through public speaking, to always speak up to defend it. Because we know that if we don't defend it, then nobody else will. And uh, we feel very passionate. Our son was born in Jerusalem, thank God. Oh, so was um, mine. <laughs> oh. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, for us, it's Israel is both our, our, like our drive, our passion, but it, it is also our religion. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. to us, it, it really does. We maintain the customs and the values, but, but 
for us, you know, we work on Shabbat because it, it, it's the work that we do. We right. have to, if so, something, if, if the news story breaks on Shabbat, we work on Shabbat because again, the journalists rely on us and it's our duty to do so. And that's why I say Israel really is more of our passion and our religion. Um, not that we don't keep Judaism, but it's it's our everything. And, and we, we work around the clock um, and it fills our home and it's you know where it will always be our home. Our department is still in Jerusalem. Um, but it, it, it's our life. I mean, that's, that's really what drives everything that we do in our home is our love for Israel. Two passionate media professionals at the dinner table. Wow. I can't imagine what those conversations are like. <laughs> Listen, let's wrap it up with what I call the JLP fill in the blanks. And this is a part of the show where I'm going to give you a few open ended sentences and you're just going to finish them with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. All right. And they can get a little spiritual, but you can handle this, okay? I'm Leah okay. Seibel, and I feel most spiritual when? I'm in my apartment in Jerusalem. Mm, where is that apartment? It is right next to Rechavia in a little neighborhood, be, right next to the botanical gardens. It's uh-huh. called Nayot, mm. right behind the Israel Museum. I used to live in Rechavia, in a beautiful apartment. So you, yeah. you know where it is, right next to the door. area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite mitzvah, or one that I connect with the most, is... Oh, wow. Uh, my, my one I connect with the most, I would say uh, helping elderly or children. Oh, nice. That's a new one on the show. I like that answer. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? Jewish summer camp at Camp Young Oh, isn't it so powerful? Listen, we're approaching it summer. Is. It it's, really is. And it's so sad that the, the camps, most of them are going to be closed this summer. It really is. What'll, what will be, but okay. Oh, day by day. All right. Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is? That I couldn't eat bacon. No, I'm... I can't. <laughs> <laughs> See, I came, I came from, from Jewish Argentinian parents. Oh, you're so funny. They would send me to Orthodox school with... Sometimes like sandwich of the miga, not realizing that that was oh not okay. My gosh, so, so that was one of my earliest embarrassing memories: showing up to to school with a sandwich of the miga. Oh my so. gosh, they're so funny, <laughs> so cute. Wait, are they still in San Luis? Did you tell me before? Where are your parents? My my father unfortunately passed away twelve years ago, but my mother just in the middle of a pandemic moved to Miami. Oh, very nice. So now you have her close with it to you. That's yes. very nice. Beautiful. Does she ever go back to Argentina? Yes, about once a year. We still have ah. all of our family. Ah, yeah. okay. Beautiful. Okay. When I give tzedakah, charity, I like to give to? Other organizations in my field. Uh-huh. In media. Beautiful. Finally, I'm Leah Soibel, and today I feel most grateful for? Being able to do the work that I do. Mm, amazing. And you're doing a great job. And it just, it, the passion and the love just shows and the professionalism. And we appreciate it. Leah, where can we find you? Where can we be connected? I'm sure there's listeners who maybe have ch- children who, you know, are in media, or whatever, they want to be in touch. What's the best way to find out about you guys? Please come visit our brand new website, which we're very proud of, www.fuentelatina.org. And if you're a Spanish-speaking expert, a professional, or just somebody that really wants to gain the confidence to learn how to speak to the media, do public speaking, uh, speak to a non-Jewish audience, please contact us. Our information is on our website. We would love to provide a virtual media training session for you. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much, Leah. This was a real treat. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks to Lea Soybel for stopping by. You can learn more about Fuente Latina on their website, fuentelatina.org, both in English and Spanish, and follow them on Instagram at Fuente Latina. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope your summer is off to a great start. I mean it. Pandemic or not, let's stay positive. And hopefully this show is a good dose of positivity in your life. And so if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and rating on iTunes. And as I said before, as a token of appreciation, I will be highlighting one reviewer every week who will then win a 20-minute call with me. I'm looking forward to those. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.